Hello, and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby, and I'm a people and culture specialist here at the firm and a producer of this podcast, along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. I'm pleased to introduce today's host, Berkeley Burke. Berkeley is an associate at Isaacson Miller with particular focus on searches in our higher education and K-12 practices. She brings prior professional experience in higher education as an admissions officer and in K-12 as a former fifth grade teacher. Our guest today is Dr. Jinya Liu, Ph.D. Jinya is the Director of Analytics and Planning at Punahou School, a large K-12 school in Honolulu, Hawaii. She transitioned to this position from a 20-year career in international public health, conducting surveillance, strategic planning, and impact evaluation for national AIDS programs in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Africa. She has also helped design and evaluate state sexual violence prevention programs focused on community-level interventions in school settings. Jinya continues to make use of her experience in public health and disease control as a co-chair of the Pandemic Response Team at Punahou. We're thrilled to have you, Jinya, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Berkeley. Hi, Jinya. Good to connect with you, albeit virtually. How are you? I'm great. Nice to talk to you again, Berkeley. <laughs> if the pandemic ever allows me to travel, I'll be <laughs> stopping by to say hi to you in Hawaii first thing. So. That would be great. I, and I, I'm curious, Jinya, just to kick us off, if you could give us a sense, you know, you originally came from the world of public health and are now working in a school setting. Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey to K-12? Yeah, you know, when I first applied for this job, I had been um, consulting for almost 15 years in international public health. And I, you know, had been traveling a lot, working with countries in different parts of the world. Um and I just began to feel that that kind of work that I was doing was really interesting in an intellectual way, but the ability to really connect to the people that I was trying to support and help um, really wasn't there because I was sort of more itinerant, moving from place to place. And so when this job opportunity came up, it seemed like this really amazing way to apply the skills that I've been doing, um, but in a really contained and cohesive ecosystem. You know, a school is a, mm. a kind of community that in public health we really love to work in because it's it's sort of self-contained, but at, but at the same time has a lot of complexity. Um, and so this position really seemed to offer the best of the things that I was looking for from a job in terms of, you know, a place I really cared about, um, a new sort of field to get to learn about and then, but also to be able to apply the skills and analytics that I've been developing in my former life in public health. I, I wonder, you started in the position a couple of months ago. How has the transition been? It was a pretty fast start. I quickly got involved in sort of the pandemic response uh, work the school has sure. been involved in, obviously. Um, I had a lot of background, so I had things to contribute. And it's actually been a really great way to not only meet so many people, because our school is quite big, um, but also to really learn how school operates. Because as part of pandemic preparedness, as you as you know, that mm. you know, we really have to get into all areas of operations. Uh, it's not just sort of the academic and classroom practices, but just physical plants, you know hygiene, you know, procurement, all, all these different systems that have to be sort of upgraded to, to respond to the pandemic. So it's been a great education in that sense for me. 
Well, and I, I think it's so funny because here you thought you were leaving public health behind, but that background actually is an asset in the current pandemic. And I, I wonder if there's any particular challenge in that pandemic preparedness and response or anything you've grappled with that's particularly stood out to you. Well, you know, particularly for our school, just because of its size, really trying to, you know, we've had to make a number of emergency investments, you know, thinking about how to change the way we um, direct resources. But -hmm. at the same time, we really want to make investments that have sort of a long-term durability, right? You know, if we're going to invest in all this uh, technology for doing distance learning, you know, let's get the kind of equipment that can serve us when we're really back to campus as well. You know, and so I think really having that simultaneous emergency view, but also that medium and long-term view has been really tough to balance, you know, um, but but also a very interesting challenge. And I think um, I think that's one way we're, you know, feeling better about the kind of really large investments we have to make <laughs> um, to deal with this pandemic, but that we, we really see that there is going to be some long-term benefits for us as well. What sort of long-term benefits do you expect or are you anticipating? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, It's sort of this, uh, we've had the situation where in the past, a lot of our faculty have been able to be, you know, fairly autonomous in how they design their classroom practice. That's one of the um, great things. We have such creative and brilliant faculty. But at the same time, you know, the pandemics has sort of forced people to really collaborate much more intentionally to make sure Mm -hmm. we're sort of in sync. You know, part of the challenge in keeping kids learning from home in a continuous way and having that continuity is being able to really know where everybody is, you know, in the curriculum. And so that kind of collaboration has really been beneficial. And I think, you know, in the long term, it's going to be a practice that we, you know, continue to, to use as a way to keep our curriculum more coherent, to sort of think about equity across the grade levels um, and that kind of coordination. So I think it also has built a lot of collegiality within the faculty. So at that level, you know, our interpersonal has really um, mm-hmm. had some gains. Um, as I mentioned, the investments in technology, you know, there's a lot of great tools that maybe we wouldn't have thought about using right. until we've sort of had to be forced to do it. So, you know, there's there's a lot of that kind of excitement to be able to use these tools more effectively in the classrooms ongoing too. Well, and I, I want to zoom out for a minute because it's interesting that you touch on this idea of the long term and that was so much a, a vision for this newly created role that you're now inhabiting as the director for analytics and planning. And it's so unusual for independent schools to have that sort of role I'm curious as to why you think that role is important, both for Punahou and for independent schools more broadly, and how that data-oriented mindset can really take a school to the next level. Yeah, we've, I mean, as part of pandemic sort of financing and, and thinking through things, you know, we're also trying to understand, you know, how the investments that we make in the school really align with our values. Um, my role is really supposed to be around or my regular role was doing a lot about the strategic planning efforts that we're making and sort of, you know, but at the same time, since we really are going through a lot of financial, you know, revisioning, it really makes sense to take that opportunity to align it with our values. And I think um, with a school like ours, with so many different moving pieces, it's really helpful to have the analytics and the hard data behind and to combine with sort of that more qualitative piece about, you know, we put an investment in this type of uh, innovative center, 
How does that, you know, contribute and integrate with the rest of the curriculum? Um, what kind of impact can we see? And I think that sort of more complex mm. analysis of routine data plus, you know, kinds of survey data we can collect, feedback from faculty and students and parents. Um, and then, you know, even thinking about the long-term impact on our students, that complexity really, you know, I think it helps to have somebody who's really dedicated to looking at all those pieces um, and maybe bring some of the skills that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a more complex kind of synthesis of data. Um, and and that, that's sort of helpful to have embedded in, in your, you know, your senior staff. Well, and I, I want to zoom in on a, a specific area of school functioning, because I know in previous conversations, we've talked about how you really have a passion for this idea of social, emotional well-being of students and mental health. And I feel like that idea is more and more entering into the public consciousness. You talk about this idea of qualitative data, and I'm wondering how you can play a role and how data can play that role in measuring student mental health in a school setting. Yeah, Social, emotional, and ethical learning is really a complex topic, as you know. <laughs> um, you know, we have... Softball question for you. <laughs> right? We've used a lot of these, um, you know, larger standard surveys, like Panor the ones offered by Panorama and the Challenge Success Survey. And those are really helpful standardized measures. But when we're trying to assess how what we actually do at school, you know, contributes to social, emotional learning, it's... It's so complex that we can't rely on a sort of standard instrument. It's really about kind of documenting this complex way that we've been rolling out different aspects of social emotional learning for our students and then finding other ways to measure that impact over time and then combine it with sort of these standards and benchmarks. So the qualitative, I don't know if it's just qualitative data, but it's also the synthesis of pulling things together. Um, the, the ability to sort of hone in on a particular program or initiative that we're doing around social emotional learning and sort of see what that um, direct level impact is. And then also having that longer view of, you know, we, we work with kids from K to 12. And so over that period of time, mm -hmm. there's so many different ways um, that we impact social emotional learning. And so that's also a complex picture that we're trying to draw um, with the data that we can you know, assess and collect over time. So there's a lot of really interesting opportunities. I feel like it's it's perhaps even more relevant or relevant in a different way right now with the pandemic as you all are grappling with how students are, are faring in this really uncertain time. Has that been a conversation you're having? Definitely. There's a lot of effort right now into sort of integrating and really having, you know, every teacher is involved in sort of, it's not a specific program sort of relegated to a certain group of faculty, but it's really mm -hmm. everybody that has to think about how their work contributes to this issue in this area for students, um, many different check-in points. And, you know, that also becomes complex to measure, but I think people really realize that this is a long-term issue. The impact of the pandemic on the social emotional state of our students is going to be around for a while. Um, just because of the things like economic impact and the repercussions mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And then I think the other really important thing is, you know, one of the approaches for social-emotional learning we're using is the ruler system. And that really is grounded in the idea that, you know, the faculty and staff that work with students, just as much as the students themselves, you know, have to have grounding in these uh, competencies and, you know, skills. So it's important to take care of our faculty and staff in that level as well. I, I wonder, too, in, in this role, it's it's so important that you're not really seen as 
just sort of this data czar. I know we've talked a lot about that, but you mentioned wanting to bring in faculty and staff and really get buy-in from the school community. How, how do you go about that, really building this data-driven culture school-wide? Yeah, that was one of the big concerns that I had, that would people be interested in welcoming of this position and how it could add value to what they do? Um, you know, our school has ha- had the luxury of an institutional researcher in the past, and so there has been a practice of faculty that are interested in doing, you know, small studies and measures of the impact of innovations they've tried in their class. And so there has been some support for that on more of an ad hoc level. Mm. We're also launching a big strategic planning effort. And and the way we've designed it is, you know, to have work groups made up of people, faculty and staff from a variety of areas of the school working together on key strategic priority, um, you know, issues like social emotional learning, um, innovation, things like that. And so these groups are also going to really be using data and proposing metrics for their issue um, to measure over time. And so that's another way that we can engage people outside their normal day-to-day work in thinking about how data and analytics can help them. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we are, we're also going through a lot of uh, thinking about, you know, how to realign our resources. And so there will be many different groups that will be involved in that decision-making process and sort of having that backbone of the analytics behind some of that decision-making, I think will, you know, really get people to dig into what data is available and how it can help them in making decisions. It's really interesting because you've mentioned at various points, you know, you've talked about economic impact. I know that Punahou is fortunate enough to be need blind and offer substantial financial assistance to students and families. And I also know that one of your main interests in this role and a big focus for you has been the idea of access and equity on multiple levels, including socioeconomic and otherwise. How do you think an independent school can use an analytics role really to further those goals of access and equity? Yeah, this has been a really interesting issue. There's so many people at our school that are interested and want to promote greater diversity, better inclusion, uh, more equity. And I think one of the frustrations that some people have felt in the past is that maybe we aren't collecting the information that gives us, you know, the more standard view of of what our demographics are and, um, you know, to better understand that. It's hard to track. Also, you know, we we might collect some of that information at certain points in a student's history with our school, but it's hard to have that sort of more long-term or comprehensive view. But at the same time, we do collect other information. And, and I think right now, one of the strategies that we're using is in the meantime, before we really collect everything that we really want to know about our student population and you know how, how diverse it is, there's a lot of other information we can use as proxies. And you know this is something that we've always had to do in public health. We never have the data that we really want, or it's just too complex to be able to collect it all. And, and I think making the most optimizing the data that we do have to start to get a picture of it will even help us hone in on the questions and the aspects of diversity and equity and inclusion that we should be focusing on to prioritize because it's such a huge issue. So right. I'm excited and hopeful right. that, you know, we have a good start on it. You're, you're right. It, it, it is so complex and it is such a huge issue. It's hard to lump access, inclusion, and equity all in one. I, I'm curious if there's a specific facet that you all would like to tackle first or really this become priority number one? Well, 
I think eventually we really are interested in how to, you know, improve the diversity of our student body and faculty. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have a group of students that we are, you know, charged to take care of right now. And so I think issues around mm. feeling of inclusion and belonging, you know, it begins to also intersect with our emphasis on social emotional learning. Um, you know, and I think that we can sort of focus on that in the immediate, because that's a group that we, you know, we have well in hand. And then over time, I think, think about sort of improving the diversity of our of our population. So, you know, I, I think it, it's sort of a multi-track kind of approach that, that sure. you know, start where we can, um, but still have this vision, I think, for the future. I'm curious, Jinya, what would you say to people who, who are worried that data might say, quote, reduce students to numbers or are worried about how you measure something that can feel so heady and, and difficult to measure as inclusion or equity? What do you what do you say to people who have those concerns? Right. I that is a really big concern. And I think, you know, one of the important things is not to really put out single measures. You know, we can't reduce these issues to a single indicator or a single measure. And so I think as much as possible, um, you know, presenting an array of information that tells us something about the question we're trying to ask. I think contextualizing the data is really important. And then at a really practical level, um, you know, in order to get by and to, you know, be able to use that data, you have to have the people that are charged to make a decision to really buy into what this data is about. You know, they have to clarify what is the question they're really answering um, with the information and, you know, understanding the limitations, but also, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, insights some of some data bring together. So I think it's a combination of, you know, building the skills of the people that are going to use the data to be able to talk about it in a more complex and nuanced way. Um, a topic like diversity inclusion definitely has the baggage of being reduced, having reducing people to numbers. And I, I think there's a more thoughtful way to do it. Um, and part of that is, is really just, you know, thinking through what is the question we're really trying to answer mm. and mm. is the data that we have appropriate for that or, or how can we use it to answer that question? How do you go about leading people to really identifying their question? It seems like that would be a key part of your role is helping people ask the questions they may not have thought they really want to know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really iterative process. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of it is about discussion. So I think it's grounding it into the kind of work that people are doing day to day. So, you know, we, we can talk about diversity in the abstract, but what does that really mean in terms of, so for example, for admissions, if we're worried about diversity of a certain kind, how does that influence the outreach we do? How do we think about it in terms of who has access to the information about what our school is about, mm. how we present, you know, information things. So it's sort of from the lens of how we're going to be able to use the information about diversity to influence the day-to-day -day work that we have. So I think that can help. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a process of really having discussions and getting to the, the meat of what problem people are trying to solve rather than just throwing out I think terms, you know, we can say we're interested in diversity, but exactly what does that, you know, what type of diversity are we most concerned about? You know, what, mm -hmm. what does the data show us about who's sort of excluded or not feeling this is a good fit for them? You know, so that's really informative. 
You, you've touched too on this idea of contextualizing data. And I'm curious about this notion of, of sense of place in your work. Hawaii is a particularly unique setting and every independent school, Punahou included, has their own culture and their own sense of place. And it really seems like that's mattered to you, especially coming back home, if you will, to a school that was transformative in your life, one that embodies and values Hawaiian culture and heritage. How, how do you find that sense of place influences your work? Well, at a very micro level, you know, just our school culture, it's really, I, I certainly was here as a student and then I was away for a long time. I didn't have as much interaction with the school, um, you know, as an adult and as a professional. So it is interesting to come back to it with the perspective of what it was like to be a student. And actually now my my son is a student at Punahou. And so seeing it from mm. the lens of the parent is also a really different um, view. But I think that's one of the strengths of you know, having faculty and staff that do have children at the school, that they have skin in the game and so that their perspective (laughs) is really um, grounded. And, you know, what is it like to be a family that is at the school and having a a student that's, you know, you know, what are they uh, experiencing in their student life? So I think that perspective is helpful as we think about, you know, the numbers and policy, you know, what is the impact of the decisions that are made? Of course, that's that's very informative and helpful um, to have. Um, but I think maybe at a larger level, um, one of the values that we have for our students is really thinking about their perspective grounded in place, you know, understanding where they come from, um, what are the resources and, you know, issues that come from where they're from, and at the same time, eventually having a global perspective. So holding those two things in balance is, is a value that we have for our school. And I, I think that really applies to, you know, administrators as well. You know, at the, at the one hand, we really have to honor the place that we're providing education in. And at the same time, we do want that sort of more global or worldview for our students. And, and it's a good balance to have, to have both. Do you think, Jinia, that, that this role, this analytics idea can be adapted to other independent schools and other settings? from what you've seen so far? Oh, there seem to be so many opportunities. Even before I came, you know, our IT department was undergoing this huge transition to sort of integrate our data systems. And, you know, it really shows what the power could be to have your admissions data, your student record data, your finance data, and then eventually your alumni um, data all able Mm. to be integrated so that we can really look at the course of a student over such a long period. It's informative at so many different levels, but that integration does take a lot of effort. And I think, you know, we're at this next stage. And I think part of the role that I'll play moving forward is, you know, helping to optimize that power in the data systems to really be able to use it to inform what our practice and our policy is we're, we're sort of going through a big strategic planning phase, and this is the time to really mm. take advantage of that. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big question, how our resources align with values. You know, it, sure. it requires a lot of big discussion, but at the same time, you, you do need to get to the nitty gritty of, um, you know, the, the hard data to sort of make these decisions and assessments not based on anecdote, but on, you know, something you know, substantial. So uh, I I see so many exciting opportunities I didn't even realize before I started. So it's 
And, you know, people are eager for this kind of information and data to inform their work. It's interesting, the idea that your thinking has even evolved since you've started and opportunities that you didn't realize were there are, are there now. And looking ahead, I know we've touched on a few points of focus, but what are your main goals or, or hopes or dreams for this role? What are you working on right now that's particularly exciting for you? Well, part of what's really fun, and I didn't really have this as a consultant, is you know, just being part of this team of people, right, all sort of day-to-day working toward the same mission. And I think one of the dreams of a person in an analytics <laughs> position is to think how you can cultivate and support others to really have these kinds of this orientation first and then also the skills to take advantage of the data systems that we have. There's certainly mm-hmm. many people around the school who have, you know, had their hand in analytics of different kinds. And so it's sort of harnessing that effort and energy and talent, you know, and maybe every department at our school can really have this, their own analytics are, you know, that is really yeah. <laughs> a person that can do it and be really attuned to the issues for their department. I, I think that's one of the big challenges of being a person doing analytics that, you can't do it well unless you're really grounded in the work. Um, right. And if you don't understand what people are really trying to do, you can't provide the analytics to help them. <laughs> so it, ultimately, we want these roles to be embedded, you know, in the departments that are doing the work. Um, and I think that would be my longer term. It sounds like a goal for you in some ways is is to not be the only person that people come to for data. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Exactly. Yes, for sure. And and that already exists. There's there's so much talent already. It's just sort of how to, you know, get get that to be more recognized and then obviously build it in more people. So I think there's real opportunity there too. And I you know, I wonder sort of in closing, Punaho in three years or five years, what is it going to look like having had you in this position to really help lead it through its strategic thinking? Is there a way that you envision or hope Punahou will look like three or five years from now? You know, I, it's, it's certainly not um, just my effort. There's, there's the strategic planning piece of what we're going through right now, I think will really be transformative in how we operate um, to make us even that more efficient and effective in what we're doing. So I think this next three to five years is going to be a huge uh, movement forward, you know, sort of really taking these goals that we've had in terms of um, building competencies, um, creating, using innovation in our our curriculum and, you know, social emotional learning. So I I see this as a real, uh, a new, you know, we're undergoing a new wave just in general with our new leadership um, at many levels. So I, I think it'll be a super exciting time for the next three to five years. And I think analytics will be a really core part of it. Um, but it's certainly going to be driven by the vision, you know, of of the president and the, and the principals and, and others in senior leadership. Well, I, I think I speak for many of us at Isaacson Miller, Virginia, when I say that we, we feel Punahou is very lucky to have you in this role, and we really appreciate your time. And I'm going to hand it back over to Rhett to close us off. 
Yeah, thanks to both of you for that conversation. And thank you to the listener for tuning in. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit imsearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials. That's LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Isaacson Miller. Isaacs and Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacs and Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk. Thank you.